0: Shalom, shalom. Welcome, welcome, world changers. Tonight, we're going to get into a lot more scripture. We're going to get into Obadiah, a few of the Psalms, talk about the last moments of Elijah's life on earth before he's taken up, as well as Elisha. Typically, in the English-speaking world, you call him Elijah and Elisha. But in the original, you know, it's Eliyahu or Eliyah versus Elisha. Okay, so I may be using those different pronunciations interchangeably throughout the night. Okay, let's get into Obadiah. Again, I'm going to be comparing the Septuagint with the Masoretic. And so here is on the left side, we have the um, English translation of the New King James based upon the Masoretic. On the right hand side, we have the English translation of the Brenton uh, from the Septuagint, two different families of manuscripts. Um, for the most part, they are very similar, although there are places where they are very different. Uh, so it's very important to, I think, it's to put them up side by side, at least sometimes during your personal Bible studies. I also see over there on YouTube, we have Corey joining us, says, Shalom, Shalom, Corey, welcome, good to see you. And yeah, one John welcomes Corey, awesome. Welcome, welcome. Obadiah. There's only one chapter in Obadiah. It's, only, uh, it's a very short book. I'm going to start on the left-hand side for those of you who are on YouTube. I'm going to start reading uh, from verse 1. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom: We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, let us rise up against her for battle. Okay, so on the right-hand side over here, we have the Septuagint. It says, the vision of Obadiah. Notice, um, well, you see the Septuagint is actually uh, the ancient Greek translation of of the original Hebrew. And uh, you'll notice this throughout the Greek um, uh, naming conventions. Usually, Greek Greek, um, adds an S or um, um, an A at the end of words. Uh, like the the sound S or the sound A at the end of, I shouldn't say words, I should say names. Uh, in this particular instance, we have Obadiah versus Obadias. Okay, notice that um, this is what we see a lot in the Greek. Like, for example, Matthias, Ananias, Marcus, Lucas. Um And Jesus, actually, as well. Actually, Jesus is from. uh, Quick little, quick little uh, history on the way, the word, the name Jesus. Um, Historically speaking, I know that some people have different opinions on it, but historically speaking, we got Yahushua, Yahushua, which would be translate. What's actually is a form of. Yahshua or Joshua. Okay. So the name in uh, the name Joshua, for example, the book of Joshua in the Tanakh, um, it's the same name as Jesus. Now this I'll give you a quick little explana- explanation here. So they took the, the full name like Yeshua or Yahushua, which means Yah Yah is our salvation or is salvation from Yah. It took that and made it shorter. So Yahushua became Yeshua. And you take that and make it even shorter is Yesu. Okay. Yesu. Now don't believe, do not believe the rumor that YesU is an acronym uh force a derogatory term. May his name be accursed. Okay. Um and there is you know, you can take any name and make acronyms out of it. Okay, I mean, you can you can do that from you know, with any name. Don't believe that. Let me just say something about the name Yeshu. Um, if you look, if you go uh, to the uh, website or to the videos of Ju- Jews for Judaism, okay, Jews for Judaism, is is um, an organization that is um, focused on really just I, I, um, trying to use the right term here, uh, counter countering Christianity, okay? Uh, the whole purpose of Jews for Judaism is to counteract the teachings and the doctrines uh, and the practices a lot, some of the practices of Christianity. Um, and so if you go search for a video from Jews for Judaism, you'll find a rabbi by the name of Rabbi Skobak. Okay, Rabbi Skobak. And he talks about the name Yeshu. And he talks about the name, he also talks about um, the Talmud as well. You see, some people think, and unfortunately, some people believe because they've been told it and they believe it, that the Talmud um, speaks of Yeshu uh, and that's speaking about Jesus in, in again, it's very, very derogatory way. Um and that's not necessarily the case. Notice my uh, my choice of words here. It's not necessarily the case. The reason why I'm saying that is if you go to Jews for Judaism and listen to the video from Michael Skoback, uh Rabbi Michael Skobak, Okay, I mean this guy. If there's anything he can get on Christianity, for sure he'll he'll bring it up. Okay, if if there's any evidence that he has against Jesus or against Christianity. I mean th- he's dedicated his life to it to, uh, to countering Christianity, okay? Um, he in his own words, he himself says, he says, in the Talmud, it's, it talks about Yeshua and it may look like it's Jesus. But he says nobody. There's no conclusive evidence that it really is because there's a lot of differences. Like for example, the Yeshu in the Talmud, at least in, in in one place, if not in more than one place, it's in different time. It's a totally different time frame compared to the Jesus of the New Testament. I mean, it's it's so don't believe the overly negative reports that that Yeshua in the Talmud is definitely talking about Jesus. Well, I'm not saying it's not, but even Rabbi Michael Skobak, who has dedicated his life to countering, to go against Christianity, even he says, I mean, think about it for a minute. He would definitely, without a shadow of a doubt, bring that against Jesus if it's true. If If there is conclusive evidence that there's that the Talmud is conclusively, without a shadow of a doubt, speaking against Jesus. He would use that, he would. But he says in his own words, "It may not be Jesus. It, pro- it probably, is, I mean, he he doesn't say yes or no. He says, it, I mean, there are a lot of things in in the Talmud talking about Yeshu that's not." It doesn't line up with Jesus. Some of it does line up with Jesus in certain certain points, but some of it doesn't. And also keep in mind, there were a lot of people back in those days whose name was Yeshu. Okay, Yeshu is the Hebrew. Um, it's 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 the Hebrew equivalent to Josh. Okay, like today we have Joshua, uh, people who they're born you know by birth they, they they're birth name in on their birth certificate it says joshua but a lot of these a lot of these guys just go by the the name josh okay and that's the way it was back in those days a lot of those guys just went by the name yeshu okay so I know there is a there is a messianic rabbi that says that it, it is a it is a derogatory a- acronym don't believe it don't believe it a lot of people use that um uh, truncated, um, short form of Yeshua, Yeshu. So we got Yeshu. I said all that. I said all that to say this. So we have Yeshu in the first century. Now transliterated that transliterate Yeshu into the Greek, because in the New Testament, the New Testament is written in Greek. It's not written in Hebrew. It's Greek. So as we just um, uh, that. Obadiah becomes Obadiah, yes, right? And if you read in the New Testament as well, we Elijah becomes Elias. You'll see this in the New Testament. Um, in the Greek, especially. So they add an S at the end, right? So Yeshu would become Yesus. You see where I'm going with this? And it's the truth. I, I mean, this is this is just the way it is. Yeshu, Greek, the Greek naming conventions commonly adds s on the end of names so yeshu would be would be yesus so yesus in the greek yesus um over hundreds of years actually it wasn't until re- relatively recently all things considered relatively recently before the i i a s u s or i a s o u s uh became a j so yesus yes, became jesus that's what happened. It, w- it was an evolution of the uh pronunciation and spelling of the name, all the way from <laughs> Yeshua, Yeshua became Yeshua, became Yeshu, became you know, translated into Greek, Yeshu, Yeshuus, Yesus, down through you know over a thousand years of just. That becoming Yes, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Okay, so um just for clarification, I thought I'd mention that. So the vision of Obadiah over here in the Septuagint, thus saith the Lord God to Edumea. Now, again, notice how the prophets always speak, thus saith the Lord, or thus saith the Lord God, okay? Not like how a lot of the, <laughs> actually, all of the New Testament authors speak. They're all different than this. They don't speak like prophets. They're not prophets. Uh, Thus saith the Lord God. So this is the word of the God, word of God. Okay, as opposed to just a um, biography or a personal letter, like for example from Paul or from John or from you know it's it is the word of God. Thus saith the Lord God to Edomea. So Edom became Edomea in the Septuagint. I have heard the report, a report of the Lord, and he has sent forth a message to the nations. So, see in the Masoretic, we have, we have heard a report of the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations. So, message becomes, or I should say messenger, or whatever, either way, messenger became message or message became messenger. But you see how we should never be, we should never take, um, We should never hyper-literally—we should never um, interpret the Scripture in a hyper-literal fashion, okay? You should be interpreting it and even translating it in a loose way because of all of these different differences, right? You'll see it as you go on. By the way, for those of you who are interested, the Septuagint is— hundreds of years older than the Masoretic, which was, you know, the King James was based upon the Masoretic. The new King James was based upon the Masoretic. This is older. If older means more closer to the, if it means more accurate to, in your mind, then the Septuagint would be more accurate, okay? I do believe it is more accurate in many places. I think that in some some places it's not. Um, we spoke about that kind of thing with Brother Onia uh, as well um, several weeks ago, but uh, anyway, so the message messenger became message or vice versa. And so we've got verse 2 here um, in the Septuagint is actually uh, combined in verse 1 uh, of the Masoretic. So arise ye and and let us rise up against her to war. Arise, at, you know, as opposed to arise and let her, let us, uh, rise up against her for battle. So very, very similar. Um, Masoretic, Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. Again, uh, the Septuagint, Behold, I have made you small among the nations. You are greatly dishonored. Sim- or among the Gentiles, I should say. By the way, Gentiles and nations—wherever you see the word "nations" in the um, in the scriptures, it's most likely um, from the same uh, original uh, word in the manuscripts that means Gentiles. They, they both both mean the same thing: Gentiles, nations, nations, Gentiles. It means the same thing. Uh, thou art greatly dishonored. Okay, so again, we have. Now, in the Septuagint, we got more of a combination here this time. Uh, The pride of thine heart has elated thee, dwelling as thou dost in the holes of the rocks, as one that exalts his habitation, saying in his heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Compare that with the pride of your heart has deceived you. Now, that's different. Um, I can see them both being true. Uh, it, I mean, I'm not saying they're both true to the original because I'm, I, um, at this point we we don't really have the original to compare it with. But uh, what I mean is, theologically speaking, or um, even phys- philosophically speaking, perhaps the pride the pride of your heart does elate you uh, versus the pride of your heart also deceives you. You can you can deceive yourself. Can you imagine that? Can you you can deceive yourself? With pride. I mean, it's bad enough that you deceive someone else. I mean, I'm not saying you guys, but I'm just saying, generally speaking, it's bad enough that a person deceives someone else, you know, but it's even worse if they're so foolish to deceive themselves. But pride does that. It deceives those who have pride deceives themselves. Um, you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, You who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Okay. So that's pretty much similar with the Septuagint. Uh, Verse 4 of the Masoretic. Though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. Septuagint, if you should mount up as the eagle, and if you should Make your nest among the stars there, from there, will I bring you down, Say, saith the Lord. Okay, pretty much the same, slightly different wording, but um, Masoretic, if thieves had come to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you will be cut off. Versus Septuagint, if thieves came into you, or oh, robbers by night, where would you have been cast away? Oh, see, so now it makes a question out of it, whereas the Masoretic puts it in the form of a statement. Oh, how you cut off. Opposed to where would you have been cast away? Um, Masoretic, would they not have stolen till they had enough? If grape gatherers had come to you, would they not have left some gleanings? Uh, Septuagint, would they not have stolen just enough for themselves? And if grape gatherers went into you, would they not leave a gleaning? Very similar. Masoretic, verse 6. Oh, how Esau shall be searched out, how his hidden treasure shall be sought after. All the men of your confederacy shall force you to the border. I'm going to stop there. I know I'm in the middle of a verse there, but uh, Septuagint. How has Ed, Edom or excuse me, Esau been searched out, and how has how have his hidden things been detected? Been detected versus sought after. No, that's different, isn't it? Sought after. They sent you to your coasts. That's different to, uh, as opposed to all the men of your confederacy shall force you to the border. I suppose that would be similar but different. All the men of your covenant have, stu- ha- have withstood you. Your, your allies have prevailed against you. They have set snares under you. They have no understanding. Compare that with the men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you no one is aware of it. So it's very different isn't it? We have on one side talking about deception in the Mesoretic not not so clearly um, in the Septuagint um, but yeah it's that was for surely really different. Uh, verse 8, the Masoretic, Will I not in that day, say, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountains of Esau? Septuagint, in that day, saith the Lord, I will destroy the wise men out of Edomea and understanding out of the Mount of Esau. Verse 9, Masoretic, Then your mighty men, O Taman, shall be dismayed. To the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. Septuagint, thy warriors from Taman shall be dismayed, to the end that man may be cut off from the mount of Esau. Okay. Verse 10, we have a subtitle in the New King James based upon the Septuagint, Adam mistreated his brother and we know that this is not in the original but that's just a subtitle put in there from the translators uh verse 10 for violence against your brother jacob shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever septuagint says because of the slaughter and the sin committed against your brother jacob shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever Hmm, So, violence in the Mesoretic becomes slaughter and sin in the the Septuagint. Verse 11. In the day that you stood on the other side, this is Mesoretic, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. Septuagint, from the day that you stood in opposition to him, in the days when foreigners were taking captives, his forces, and strangers entered into his gates and cast lots on Jerusalem, you also was as one of them. Very similar. Verse 12, Masoretic, but you should not have gazed on the day of your brother in the day of his captivity. Nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of of distress. Septuagint, and you should not have looked on the day of your brother in the days of strangers. Nor should you have rejoiced against the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither should you have boasted in the day of their affliction. Similar. Masoretic, verse 13, you should not have entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Indeed, you should not have gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity, excuse me, you should not have gazed upon their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Septuagint. neither should you have gone into the gates of the people In the day of their troubles, nor yet shouldest uh, shouldest thou have looked upon their gathering in the day of their destruction, nor should you have attacked their host in the day of their perishing. Again, similar. Verse 14, Masoretic. um, You should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped nor should you have delivered up those among them who remained in the day of distress. Septuagint. neither should you have stood at the opening of their passages to destroy utterly those of them that were escaping. Neither should you have shut up his fugitives in the day of their affliction, or in the day of affliction. Similar. Verse uh, Verse 15, Masoretic, for the day of the Lord upon all nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Sounds like a teaching of Yeshua, right? Um, Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. Verse 15, Septuagint, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the Gentiles. As you have done, so shall it be done to you. Your recompense shall be returned on your own head. Verse 16, Masoretic, for as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. Septuagint, for as thou hast drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink wine. Uh, They shall drink and go down. And be as if they were not. Verse 17, Masoretic, but on, on uh, Mount Zion there shall be deliverance and there shall be holiness, and the, uh, the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. Septuagint, but on the Mount Zion or Sion uh, there shall be deliverance and there shall be a sanctuary. The house of Jacob shall take for an inheritance those that took them for an inheritance. That's different Different wording as the house of Jacob shall possess, possess their possessions. Different. Shall um, take for an inheritance those that took them for an inheritance. Verse 18. The house of Jacob shall be a fire. And the house of Joseph a flame, but the house of Esau shall be stubble. They shall kindle them and devour them, and no no survivor shall remain in the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Septuagint. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau shall be for stubble. And Israel. Uh, it's got Israel here in the italics, which means it's not really in the original, uh, shall flame forth against them and shall devour them, and there shall not be there shall not be a cornfield left to the house of Esau, because the, the Lord has spoken. That's quite different. A cornfield uh versus no survivor, and no no cornfield versus no survivor. That's that's quite a bit different. Verse 19, Masoretic, the south shall possess the mountains of Esau and the low land shall possess Philist- Philistia. They shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria. Benjamin shall possess Gilead. Septuagint, and they shall, excuse me, and, they that, dwell in the house, <laughs> and dwe- they that dwell in the south shall inherit the mount of Esau. And they, they in the plains, or in the plain of the Philistines, and they shall inherit the mount of Ephraim, and the plain of Samaria, and Benjamin, and the land of Galad or Gilead. So, similar. Verse twenty. And the captives of this host of children of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. The cap- the captives of Jerusalem who are in Shef- Shepharad shall possess the cities of the south. Septuagint. And this shall be the, do- the domain of the captivity of the children of Israel, the land of the uh, Canaanites, so the Canaanites, as far as Sep- Sarah, Sherepta, that would be different than seraphath, But it would be the same name Sereptha uh, And the captives of Jerusalem Shall inherit as far as Aphratha Aphratha um, In the Mesoretic cities of the south They shall inherit The cities of the south Okay so we have a frotha there now we have a, we have a footnote though in the masoretic it says Negev Okay Verse 21 the last verse of Obadiah uh, Masoretic the savior then saviors shall come to mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau and the kingdom shall be the Lord saviors um Deliverers, Septuagint, And they that escape shall come up from Mount Zion to take vengeance on the Mount of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. So, again, we have a, a good a notable difference here between saviors shall come up to Mount Zion as opposed to then, uh, and they that escape shall come up from Mount Zion as opposed to Savior shall come to Mount Zion. Again, quite a bit of difference. That reminds me of the um the passage, one of the passages that Paul quotes in um in Isaiah. And it's pretty it's similar to that as well. Like the Redeemer will come to Zion as opposed to will come from Zion, um coming to those who repent as opposed to coming to to turn the hearts of those, you know, it's 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 the it's kind of like almost the opposite uh, in the Septuagint. Okay, so in Psalm eighty-three, I'm just going to pull it up on this. Uh, for those of you who are on YouTube here, I'm just going to pull it up on the left-hand side of the screen here. Psalm eighty-three. All right, excuse me, eighty-two. Psalm eighty-two, a psalm of Asaph or Asaph. God stands in the congregation of the mighty; he judges among the gods. Interesting. You see, this is another another thing, and I I I say this a lot. I know, but because a lot of Christians err in this sense, is they over literalize, they hyper literalize things. They take it in a hyper literal manner. What I mean is, for example. You know, there are many times it says in the scriptures, there are no other gods, but but God. God is the only one, right? I mean, there are no others. There, no other gods, but one. Uh, whereas here, he says he judges among the gods. So again, let's not let's be hyper literal. Judges among the gods. Um, here, it would have been um, in the Hebrew, Elohim, which could also be translated as judges or mighty man or mighty that kind of thing as well, yes. Judges, Elohim, mighty ones, or gods. And by the way, it's, this, it's the same word that's used for God when it says, "I am." for example, I am God. <laughs> you know, when, when uh, it talks about God in the Old Testament, it's the same word, Elohim. Verse two, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. Um, Here we have moved. Again, hyperliteral. There are some places in the scriptures that says that the foundation, the, the Lord, or the earth is will shall never be moved. Right, the, earth, the foundations of the earth will never be moved. Oh yeah. Again, let's not take that in a hyper-literal way. It just means it will just stand forever. Basically, it doesn't mean that it won't physically move. Here, it's talking about moving. This is a very, very great pitfall amongst. So many Christians today, they take some passage, they hyper-literalize on it, and they they isolate that from the rest of Scripture. Scriptural isolation. Let's not do that. Let's take it all, consider it all. Verse 6, I said, you are God. So this is what even is quoted in the New Testament that Yeshua actually said. I said, you are gods.'" Again, this is Elohim. So, um, very, very uh, thought-provoking passages for sure. For sure, because I mean, and the New Age people really uh, emphasize this. Okay, by the way, I mean, New Age is definitely against the Father. It's definitely against God, in that sense. But um, this is one of the verses that actually, you, do you believe it? The New Age people actually, those who are involved in New Age, they quote Scripture. they do this is one of the things that they quote because it says you Um, now let's just um, I'm going to pull up let let me just because this is something that should be we should should touch on this Um, I'm going to pull this up in the King James ye are gods now Yeshua in the yeah I was thinking about the Gospel of John again Gospel of John what can I say? I've said a lot about the Gospel of John already but here uh, Yeshua Jesus answered them saying is it not written in your law I said you are Gods if he that is um, I guess that would be God speaking through the through the scriptures or at least David um, if he called them gods unto whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be break, broken, Say ye of him whom the Father has sanctified, sent in the world, you blaspheme. Okay, I am the Son of God. So basically, Jesus is basically saying there, you know, well, oh, you, you say that I'm blaspheming because I'm saying that I'm the Son of God, but it says in the scriptures that you are God, Elohim, gods. Be mindful of the fact that where it says gods in in the Tanakh, in the so-called Old Testament it is more than likely translated from the Hebrew word Elohim, which is translated as capital G God in most of the Tanakh. So, I mean, that's it's a very shocking passage, actually. Psalm 82, verse 6. Quite shocking. I said, you are you. And again, according to the context and the delivery of, of uh, john chapter 10 this is talking to every one of you <laughs> that the word of god is coming to i said you are god you are elohim or gods uh and all of you are children of the most high okay so this is probably what it was referring to more of that because they were uh, in in context uh you know, some of the people were claiming that Jesus was blaspheming, saying that he was the son of God, where he's like, Okay, read this. If you if you think that I'm blaspheming, we'll read this: Psalm 82, 6. But you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Now, this is this is interesting because in context. in context nobody can say you know you see like let me just say this again the people that are involved in the new age a lot of them they 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 quote this one verse psalm 82 6 and they leave it there of course they don't quote verse 7 because that just destroys them but they quote psalm 82 verse 6 But you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations. Or again, that would mean Gentiles. Prayer to frustrate conspiracy against Israel. Have you ever prayed a prayer to, uh, that God frustrates something or somebody? <laughs> a song, a psalm of Asaf, Asaph, Verse 1, do not keep silent, O God. Again, this would be Elohim. Uh, do not hold your peace and do not be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make a tumult and those who hate you have lifted up their head they have taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted together against your sheltered ones now as i read this i have to wonder because we saw this just earlier in the septuagint now, i'm wondering let me just see in the septuagint because sometimes we as we saw earlier sometimes it talks about many in the Masoretic, whereas it's just like one in the um in the Septuagint. Now, if that's the case, you know, it it could easily be interpreted as being Yeshua here. You know, they've taken counsel against Yeshua. Um, See, I got 82 here, 83, which is actually 82 in the Septuagint. It says, people, people, thy saints, sheltered ones versus saints. Um, verse four, they have come and let let us cut them off. Excuse me. They have said, "Come, let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may not may be remembered no more." For they have consulted consulted together, with one consent, they form a confederacy against you. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gebal, Ammon and Amalek, and uh, Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre, Assyria also has joined with them. They have helped the children of Lot, Lot. Deal with them as with Midian, as with Sisera, as with Yabin in, at the brook Kishon, who perished at Endor, who became as refuse on the earth. Make their nobles like Oreb and like Zayab. Yes, all their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna, who said, let us take for ourselves the pastors of God for possession. O oh God, make them like The whirling dust, like the chaff before the wind, as the fire burns the woods, and as the flame sets the mountains on fire. So pursue them with your tempest, and frighten them with your storm. Fill their faces with shame, that they may seek your name. Hmm, What a prayer is that? What a prayer. Pursue them with your tempest. Why would why would this kind of prayer be in the scriptures like this? Because you know a lot of people need this. Sometimes you know we got some people who what I what I do here. Sometimes some people need this. They need to, they need a tempest in their life. They need to be frightened. They need to be ashamed that they may seek the name of the Lord. Verse seventeen. Let them be confounded and dismayed forever. Hmm. That's a pretty. That's a pretty clear, <laughs> that's pretty clear there. Let them be confounded and, and dismayed forever. Um, yes, let them be put to shame and perish that they may know that you whose name alone is the Lord are the most high over all the earth. Okay, so Second Kings verse 1. Uh, where are we here? 2 Kings, verse 1, chapter 1, I should say. Um, God judges Ahaziah. Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. And now Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and was injured. So he sent messengers and said to them Go, inquire of Baal Zebub baal um, is the same in, we read about, uh, after you, you heard about Beelzebub, it's the same, Beelzebub or Baal-zebub, which means literally the Lord of the Flies. Okay, Lord of the Flies, yeah, literally Lord of the Flies. Um, and this is typically a symbol of the devil. The God of Ekron, go inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron, whether I should rec- recover from this injury. So why would why would Ahaziah, ah- ah- you know, tell people to basically go ask the devil if I'm going if I'm going to re- if I'm going to recover? But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, "Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them." Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Baal Zabub, the God of Ekron? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah departed. Well, that's it for that, isn't it? I mean, hey, I mean, you want to ask the devil, you want to ask the devil instead of God, well... I mean, what can you say? Verse 5. And when the messengers returned to him, he said to them, Why have you come back? So they said to him, A man came up to meet us and said to us, Go, return to the king who sent you, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Baal Zabub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Then he said to them, what kind of man was it that came up to meet you and told you these words? So they answered him, a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. He said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. So sounds like a lot. Uh, sounds like a. Um, uh, description of uh, John the Baptist, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound like the description of John the Baptist? Um, and you know, by the way, like John the Baptist, there is a, um, there is a discrepancy um, in the scriptures uh, in regards to whether or not John the Baptist was actually the Elijah to come. Um you see now in uh let me let me just let me just pull it up for you guys. Okay, just give me a second here. So let me just pull this over here. Um if you will receive it, this is Matthew eleven fourteen. If you will receive it, this is Jesus speaking, by the way. Um, this, which is speaking about John the Baptist, is Elijah, Elias, Elijah, which was for to come. Okay? So let's just go to the uh, cross references here. Yeah, so and then it, later on in, in Matthew chapter 17, uh, it says here, his disciples asked him, saying why then why then they say the scribes that Elijah must come first must first come and uh, Jesus answered and said unto them Elijah truly shall come shall first come and restore all things but I say unto you that Elijah has already come and they knew him not but they have done unto him whatsoever they listed likewise uh, shall also the son of man suffer to them Or suffer of them. The disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist, right? So that's exactly what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, that John is Elijah. Okay, now compare that with, of course, the gospel of John. Like I said, the gospel of John is a very questionable gospel, to say the least. The gospel of John uh, chapter 1, verse 20, let's say 19. And this, the testimony of John the Baptist, okay, this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Okay, so in Matthew chapter 11, and Matthew chapter 17, Jesus clearly makes it, <laughs> t- tells us that he, uh, John the Baptist is Elijah. In John in the Gospel of John, it's he's not Elijah. So take it for what it is. I know people can talk around it and make all kinds of excuses for it, but 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 9. Then the king said, Then the king sent to him a captain of 50 with his 50 men. And he went up to him, and there he was sitting. On the top of a hill, and he spoke to him, Man of God, the king has said, Come down. So Elijah answered and said to the captain of fifty, If I am a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty men. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Then he sent to him another captain of fifty with his fifty men. (laughs) <laughs> I I wouldn't, I mean, if, if, if that happened, I mean, you you gotta, you gotta wonder what these people are thinking. And he answered and said to him, man of God, thus has the king said, come down quickly. And so Elijah answered and said to them, if I, if I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. and, the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Okay, there we go again. Again, he sent a third captain of fifty with his fifty men. I tell you, these guys must be very loyal or you know devoted to uh, to the king to to go there, knowing that hey, you know what? There's a bad track record here. The first fifty went. The first fifty went to the, to Elijah and they got devoured by fire. The next fifty went. They got devoured by fire. And they're pretty bold. And the third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and pleaded with him and said, Man of God, please, let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Look, fire has come down from heaven and burned up the first two captains of 50s with their with their 50s, but let my life now be precious in your sight. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. Wow, see, that's, uh, you know, good good proof there that you should be persistent. <laughs> so he rose up, so he arose and went down with him to the king. Then he said to him, thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Baal-Zabub, the god of Akron, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Zia died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken. Because he had no son, Yehoram, in the footnotes, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, or Ahab, king of Israel, as we also see in 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 1. Yehoram became king in his place and uh, in the second year of Yehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Now the the rest of the acts of Ahaziah, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? 2 Kings chapter 2. And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take a Take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind. Then Elijah went up with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, yes, I know. Keeps on it. Then Elijah said to him, Alisha, stay here, please. For the Lord has sent me on to Jericho, to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now, the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from, from over you today? So he answered, Yes, I know. Keep silent. In other words, yeah, I know, No, I know, I know. Shh. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here. Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. Now, I it seems as though now i don't know how you guys take this but it seems as though elijah thought that he was going to go be taken up first at gilgal or then or first in bethel he said okay stay stay Gil- gilgal let me go on to bethel basically i'm gonna go i'm gonna be taken up but elisha followed him to bethel right and because elisha followed him to bethel then Elijah's like okay you stay here i'm i, I got to go okay you stay here i'm going to go on over to Jericho okay and so um and so Elisha followed him to Jericho and it's the same thing it seems like it seems like that Elijah at least thought that if Elisha Elisha was with him He's not going to be taken up. So as we say, stay here, I'm going. And leave me alone so God can take me away. It's just the way it so- sounds like anyway. So verse six, then Elijah said to him, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on and 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and, and stood facing them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water, and it was divided this way and that, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was when they had crossed over that that Elijah said to Elisha, ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me wow and you know guy let me just say this as well if you compare the miracles that happened in elijah's life to those of elisha elisha is double it's double it's amazing it really is amazing now this this is something too. this is something as well Here is a question I've never really thought about until just now. Never thought about this. Could this be the reason why John the Baptist never performed miracles? If John the Baptist is really Elijah, as Jesus said in Matthew 11 and Matthew 17... Elijah gave the double portion of his spirit to Elisha and gave him the mantle, basically gave him all the power for, for miracles. Could that be why John the Baptist never performed miracles? Question. Verse 10, this is 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 10, for those who are joining us. Um, so he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken up from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. It's something very, very, very important about seeing, you know, if you see me. I'll say this as well. Um. You know, when Moses lifted up the serpent, the bronze serpent on the pole, everyone who looked are the ones who lived. Something important about that, the eye gate, right? Something something important about that. I think that's one of the reasons why that, you know, the devil tempts through the eye gate many times. But there's something, something about that. Why would Elijah say, if you see me, you have to see me, you have to have that, you have to have that icon, you have to see me. If you see me taken up from you, then you'll have that. If you don't, you won't. Very, very interesting. You have to witness it. You have to witness it. Verse 11, then it happened as they continued and walked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. So chariot of fire with horses of fire reminds me of the seraphim, right? The seraphim are angels, and it is believed by some to be angels of fire because the word seraph, can also def- denote fire as well. So we have the chariot of fire, horses of fire, taking Elijah up, like a um, like a vehicle, like a vehicle. I remember a few months ago there, we had a question, like, how did he survive being taken up in a a chariot of fire? How can he survive going through the, you know, the atmosphere like that? Um, I would have supposed that chariot would be be equipped with everything that Elijah needed to survive, right? It would be equipped with everything that was needed uh, to keep him safe. Very interesting. Verse 12, And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. The chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. So this could be an act of an act of um, um, sorrow, Uh, he was distraught. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had struck the rip the water, it was divided this way and that, and, and Elijah crossed over. Now, here is this another, another, I never really thought of it until just till just now. I've over the past uh several months, I've been talking about how it's possible for a physical material object to carry spiritual um, to have a spiritual connection to it that spirits can be, for lack of a better way of putting it, attached to certain objects. And this is another good um, example of that, right? We have the handkerchiefs that came, you know, uh, in the book of Acts, right? They say the handkerchiefs that came from Paul. Uh, We have the uh, devoted object in Joshua chapter 7 that Achan Took right, and that devoted object actually had a curse. Um, it was a, a spirit, basically that was a, that was that was connected with that, if you would, if you will, that that caused the defeat of Israel. Here we have uh, an object that, more or less, the spirit of God was um, had some kind of a, a prophetic connection with. Verse 15, now when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Then they said to him, look now, there are 50 strong men with your servants. Please let them go and search for your master lest perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, you shall not send anyone. And when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, send them. Therefore they sent 50 men and they searched for three days, but did not find him. And when they came back to him, for he was, for he had stayed in Jericho. He said to them, "Did I not say to you, do not go?" And this is this is another thing too, right? Sometimes people are persistent and they get what they want, even though it's not what really is. It's not really good for them, or it's not really the will of God for them. Remember when uh, the people of Israel wanted a king, and um, God said, "No, you don't want a king. No, it's not good. No, no, no. Like no, yeah." You know, no, we want a king. We want a king. Well, okay, you asked for it. Here you go. Here's King Saul. Elisha performs miracles. Then the men of the city said to Elisha, please notice the situation of the city is pleasant as my seas, but the water is bad and the ground is barren. And he said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt there and said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water from it. There shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day, according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. Now this is very interesting let me talk about this because i believe i know the uh, of course nobody knows for sure but i believe there's a good possibility i know what salt was used remember there are millions of different kinds of salts okay i mean maybe not millions but thousands anyway there's a lot of different kinds of salts um there is one kind of salt that's even used today for the purification of water. Okay. Um, and that is a salt. Let me, it is a salt. Just a second here. It's actually two different kinds of salt. It is a salt called sodium alum or potassium alum, otherwise known as simply alum, okay, A-L-U-M. If you if you know uh, about water purification, alum, when you mix alum with water, now, if it's water that's like very stained, it's got lots of bacteria in it or whatever else in it, um, it's dirty water. And you put Alum in it, it causes all of the suspended particles in the water to sink, and you got clear water. It it takes muddy, murky, swampy water, and it makes it clear. Um, that's one of the salts that they actually use in water purification today, apart from like um, you know, like a so- sodium. Um, what do you call it? Like hypochlorite, kind of like a bleach, kind of salt. Uh, to to uh, sanitize it but alum uh, it would actually take a lot of that bacteria and it would it what it does is it adds weight and binds to the um to the suspended particles in the water and it adds weight to it and it sinks and thus you got crystal clear water so there's a very very good chance that that is that's what the salt uh that's the salt that was used by Ali Shah. Now, I don't want to take away from the whole idea of some kind of a miracle of God, but you know, God is a very practical God. He is a very practical God. He's more practical than a lot of people believe. He's very practical. And so I think that in this case, it you know, he did use that practical. Uh, element of a uh, salt which was probably a uh, an alum salt be it sodium sodium alum or uh, potassium alum or something like that that was used to purify this water second Kings chapter 2 verse 23 then he went up from there to Bethel and as he was going up the road some youths came from the city and mocked him and said said uh, said to him go up you bald head go up you bald head uh, apparently, Elisha didn't have any hair compared to Elijah, who was, was a very hairy guy, right? Uh, so he turned around and looked at them and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. <laughs> you better not be making fun of the wrong person. And two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. Wow. You see, this is this is another case where God used wild animals. To execute his judgment. Remember, we read about that before uh, in regards to the man of God uh, that was cursed, and a lion came and killed him. Verse twenty-five. Then he he went up from there to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. Second Kings chapter three, uh, verse one. Now Yehoram, the son of Ahab or Ahab the king of uh, became king of Israel king over Israel at Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah and reigned 12 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother, for he put away the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, who had made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. Now Mesha, king of Moab, was a sheep be- breeder, and he regularly paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. But it happened when Ahab died that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Yohoram went out. at the time, uh, went out of Samaria at the time and mustered all Israel. Then he went and sent to Yehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, the king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Then he said, which way shall you go up? And he answered, by the way of the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Adom, and they marched on that roundabout route seven days. And there was no water for the army, nor for the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that... We may inquire of the lord by him so one of the servants of the king of israel answered and said elisha the son of shaphat is here who poured water on the hands of elijah okay so let me just say this as well i I need i just i just come across my mind maybe somebody needs to hear this there are people today that call themselves prophets I'm I'm about to say in every case pretty much every one of them if not every one of them are not prophets. A true prophet does not go around go go around saying I'm a prophet I'm a prophet. A true prophet is humble. They're not going to be going around claiming some great place of authority or great position in the kingdom, okay? A true prophet is not going to be going oh hi I'm prophet Elijah. Oh hi I'm don't call me Elisha call me prophet Elisha. No. That's not the way it is, okay? Um, so, people who call themselves prophet, beware, okay? Beware. Second Kings chapter three, verse twelve, and Jehoshaphat said, "So the word of the Lord is, excuse me, said the word of the Lord is with him." So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Edom, and the king of Edom went down to him. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel. What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, "No, for the Lord has called these 3 kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab." And Elisha said, "As the Lord of hosts live, lives before whom I stand." See, he talks just like Elijah, right? "Before whom I stand." There's that conscious being conscious of Standing before God in strength, in the presence of God, always aware of the presence of God, before whom I I stand. Surely, were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of, of Judah, I would not look at you, nor see you. But now bring me a musician. Then it happened when the when the musician played that the hand of the lord came upon him so interesting sometimes music can be used by the lord to be a to be a, a channel through which god can can touch you verse 16 and he said, Thus says the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches, in the footnotes, water canals. For thus says the Lord, You shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet that valley shall be filled with water, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And, and this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. Also, you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city, and shall cut down every good tree, and stop up every spring of water, and ruin every good piece of land with stones. Now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by the way of Edom, and the land was filled with water and when all the moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them all who were able to bear arms and the older and older were were gathered and they stood at the border then they then they rose up early in the morning and the sun was shining on the water and the moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood And they said, this is blood. The kings have surely struck swords and have killed one another. Now, therefore, Moab to the spoil. So when they came to the camp of Israel, Israel rose up and attacked the Moabites so that they fled before them. And they entered their land, killing the Moabites. Then they destroyed the cities. And each man threw a stone on every good piece of land and filled it. And they stopped up all the springs of water and cut down all the good trees. But they left the stones of Kir Haraset intact. However, the slingers surrounded and attacked it. And when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too fierce for him, he took with him 700 men who drew swords to break through to the king of Edom, but they could not. Then he took the eldest son, who would have reigned in his place and offered him as a burnt offering on the, on the wall or upon the wall and there was great indignation against israel so they departed from him and returned to their own land second kings chapter 4 elisha and the widow's oil a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to elisha saying your servant my husband is dead And you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what shall I have or what do you have in in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, go, borrow vessels from everywhere from all your neighbors empty vessels do just do not just uh, excuse me do not gather just a few and when you have come in you shall shut the door behind you and your sons then pour it into all those vessels and and set aside the full ones so she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons and brought the vessels to her who, uh, excuse me who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay pay your debt and you and your sons live on the rest. Elisha raises the Shunammites' son. Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem where there was a notable woman, notable in the footnotes, a great woman. And she persuaded him to eat some some food. For it was... As often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand. So it will be there whenever he comes to us. Excuse me. And so, so it will be. Whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. And it happened one day that he came there and he turned in to the upper room and lay down there. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite woman. When he had called her, she, she stood before him and he said to him, say now to her, look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the to the king or uh, to the commander of the army? She answered, "I dwell among my own people." So he said, "What then is to be done for her?" Then Gehazi answered, "Actually, she has no son, and her woman, and her husband is old." So she so he said. Call her. When he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, About this time next year you shall embrace a son. She said, No, my lord, a man man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. But the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come, of which Elisha had told her. And the child grew. Now it happened one day that he went out to his father, uh, to the reaper's. And he said to his father, my head, my head. So he said to a servant, carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, please send... Send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. So he said, why are you going to him today? It is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And he said, it is well. Then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And so she departed and went to the man of God at at Mount Carmel. So it was when the man of God saw her afar off, that he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. Now, when she, when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet, but Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So she said, Did I, did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way if anyone meet if you meet anyone do not greet him and if anyone greets you do not answer him but lay my staff on the face of the child and the mother of the child said as the lord lives and as your soul lives i will not leave you so he arose and followed her now gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child. But there was neither voice nor, nor hearing. Therefore, he went back to meet him and told him, The child is not awakened. Then Elisha came into the house, or when, excuse me, when Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out on the child and the flesh of the child became warm. He returned and walked back and forth in the house and went and again went up and stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes and he called Gehazi and said, call this Shunammite woman. So he called her and when she came in to him, he said, pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. And Elisha Elisha, returned to Gilgal and there was a famine in the land. Now the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And he said to his servant, put on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. So one went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it a lap full of wild gourds and and came and sliced them into the pot of stew, though they did not know what they were. Then they served it to the, to the men to eat. Now it happened as they were eating the stew that, that they cried out and said, Man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat it. So he said, bring some, uh, then bring some flour. And he put it into the pot and said, serve it to the people that they may eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. Then a man came from Baal Shalishah and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley bread and newly ripened grain in his knapsack And he said, give it to the people that they may eat. But his servant said, what? Shall I set this before 100 men? He said again, give it to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. So so he set it before them and they ate and had some left over according to the word of the Lord. So that concludes our... Reading of Scripture for tonight. Notice again that we have like these miracle, many of these miracles, at least the types of miracles that are that are um, also uh, reflected in the the life of Yeshua and the ministry of Yeshua, the raising of the dead, the multiplication of food, this kind of thing. Um, nothing it was not new. None of that was new. You know, uh, it was all it was all done before, as it says in the Book of Ecclesiastes, right? That which was, is to be. Let me see what we have in the comments here. Now, again, if you have a comment specifically geared towards me or a question for me, just put at Christopher in the comments, and that would uh, help draw my attention to it. Billy says, my Septuagint says Obadiah. Very interesting. I'm um, just wondering if that's a Brenton one or if that's a different... Um, Translation. I was reading from the Brenton. Vinny says, Shalom, everyone. Shalom, Vinny. Good to see you. Welcome, welcome. Corey says, Where do I find this Septuagint? Well, um, I actually got a hard copy of the Brenton. I just mentioned the Brenton. There are like a couple main ones. This is a Brenton Septuagint right here. Uh, the Septuagint with the Apocrypha is what I get. You can get this off of the, you know, you can order this online. Um, that's basically what I, what I have. It looks like that. So for those of you who are on TikTok, oh, you can't see it. Sorry about that. But just showing my YouTube audience. Septuagint with the Apocrypha. Interesting comment. I, I, this is a very interesting comment. Logic, and I like your um, username, Logic. Um, they transformed Jesus into divinity. He was a beloved prophet of God, and he referred the Father as the the only true God. He prayed to and worshipped the Father. Uh, This guy will lead so many Christians to Islam, and he himself is not a Muslim. Well done. Well, it's not. I don't understand how you would think that. I think it would be actually. I I, as I just mentioned um, the other day, I have seen Muslims come to the knowledge of. Uh, of, of of Yeshua. Um, so, I think you got your logic a little bit backwards on that one. Corey says, Is the Tanakh the whole Bible or is it the Torah? Um, it's a very good question. Typically speaking, the Torah is just the f- f- uh the first five books of the Bible, the the so-called books of Moses. Um, However, sometimes, even in Jewish circles today, when they say Torah, they're talking about the whole Tanakh. So Tanakh is actually an acronym, T-N-K. T, which stands for Torah, N, which stands for Nevi'im, that means prophets, and K that stands for Ketuvim, that means scriptures or writings so very good question corey thank you for asking billy says okay so i I, seems like you already answered my question before i asked it i'm sorry i'm kind of i'm way behind in these comments by the way guys so um i have a Lexum english septuagint the translation is a little different thoughts um I cannot comment on the Lexham English Septuagint. Actually, I'm not. I'm not familiar with it. So I, you know, I my only thoughts would be just you know compare it with uh, the Brenton, compare it with the NETS Septuagint, um, see how it compares. Yeah, Vinny. Uh, Vinny says the Tanakh is the Old Testament. Yes. You know, in, in Bibles today where it says Old Testament, it should actually say Tanakh. It shouldn't say Old Testament. It's a very, very misleading categorization of it. Now, I understand it was that whole categorization began with Marcion, which need I say more? Great Deception says Shabbat Shalom, or I mean, not Shabbat Shalom, Shalom everyone. Sorry, I'm kind of, I'm still kind of stuck in uh, Shabbat there from yesterday. Shalom, Great Deception, good to see you. Corey says, it angered me at one point that I was lied to on my Christian walk. Yeah, um, I can't. I hear you. I understand totally. Understand that, it, from my point of view, uh, I it angers me that that it's that it is taught. I mean, I, I can't really say I can't really look back and say, be angry with anybody specifically um, for teaching a lot of the things that they taught. But I am very, I am well. I mean, it angers me that this stuff is taught and leads so many people astray, and so much. It leads to so much problems and evil within society today. I blame the church. I blame this. If the if the meat is bad, I blame the salt. The salt is supposed to preserve the meat. The church is the salt. Great deception says Yeshua is not the Father. He is the only begotten Son. Yes. Angry Mouthy Freak talking about the name of Jesus. The rabbis have the name for Yahushua, our manifesting creator. That name be remembered no more is the meaning of the Hebrew. Now, again, it's not that is an acronym that has been created. Even anti-missionary, anti-Christian Jews would not agree with you on that. And trust me, uh, these people... You know, if, if 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 there was any good evidence against Jesus, they would use it. And that I, it's Yeshu is 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 a short form of Yeshua. I, I would I would highly recommend you uh, you listen to video that I mentioned earlier from Rabbi Skoback. Um Now he's an anti-missionary, anti-Christian Jew, and and he's like, no, this is this is this may may not talk about Jesus. I mean, if anything, he'd be inclined to say yes. It is Jesus, right? Just to, just to claim, you know, just to use more um, ammo against Christianity. But even he admits that it probably hasn't. And from what I understand, historically speaking, the name Yeshu was used. Many people had the name Yeshu. Everybody, just like how many people today have the has the name Josh, right? Uh, on the birth certificate, it says Joshua. But josh is what they go by, and that's the way it was back in those days. However, I do understand that the name Yeshu was, uh, people stopped using that short form of Yeshua, probably because of the stigmatism of of what happened to Yeshua and the Christians who were blaming them for that and all that kind of stuff and the whole problem between Christianity and Judaism at that time. So uh, people, there was a point in time that the Jewish people stopped using that particular nickname if you want to call it that for others. I mean there's lots of people from what I've heard of lots of people in history that had that were they were called Yeshu. Cindy says praise Elohim. Amen. Welcome Cindy blessings. Cindy says uh brother Christopher has a wonderful godly spirit. Thank you very much, Cindy. I appreciate that. Says wow, Septuagint with apocrypha. Yeah, I thought I'd get with the the Septuagint with the apocrypha because it's like you know I understand that the apocrypha uh, existed and was in circulation. You know, you know before. Uh, Yeshua was born before the days of the New Testament. You know, during those so-called 400 years of silence. I don't believe there were 400 years of silence. God would not stay silent for 400 years with His beloved people and His, you know, His children that He would definitely want to speak to. There was that's, uh, yeah, those 400 years of silence. There is no 400 years of silence. It, it is that during those 400 years. Actually, for those of you who are wondering. Um, during, during that time, especially around the time, like the third century BC, okay? Um, and the influence of Alexander the Great that really actually um, made the written um, language within all of that area of the world became Greek. It's almost like how most of the West today is, you know, our, you know the primary language is English. Back in those days, um, because of the influence of Alexander the Great um, and King Ptolemy, for example, these kind of people, uh, Greek was made like a standard language for reading and writing. Maybe not so much speaking, but reading and writing um, Greek. And because of that, um, all of the scriptures that were written say, you know, in the 4th century moving forward, we're Greek. I don't believe in deifying any language. I don't believe that we should idolize a language. Some people idolize Hebrew. Some people idolize Greek. Some Some people idolize Arabic. We should not idolize any language. A language is just a tool that is used to communicate okay there's is i don't really think there's a perfect language on earth really i really don't think so um so because greek was used uh as the primary language back in those days they wrote the scriptures in greek it's like today if god speaks to johnny right If God speaks to prophet John and says, I want you to write a a letter to, you know, so-and-so, and and I want you to tell them, you know, thus saith the Lord, John's going to write in English, especially in, you know, the Western part of the world for the most part. He's going to write in English. He's not going to write in Hebrew, right? He's going to write in in English. And so it's it's the same concept back in the, you know, 4th century, 3rd century, 2nd century, 1st century B.C., it was like you don't write in Hebrew when the standard is is Greek at that time, and so that's why the Apocrypha was written in Greek. Now, unfortunately, because it was written in Greek, you got people that that idolize a language. They say, "Oh, the Apocrypha is not not um, um, legitimate because it's not in Hebrew." It's not in Hebrews because it's that wasn't the culture at that time. That's why God speaks through the languages of men in using the circumstances that they're in, right? So like today, again, if God were to, were to inspire someone to write something, it would be in English, especially in this part of the world. It wouldn't be in some unknown you know, language from some unknown tribe in some remote part of the earth. It'll be in the common language that is commonly read and, and, and understood today. So I thought, you know, I, I want a book like, I want a, I want the Septuagint like how similar, I want scripture similar to what the apostles had. I mean, the, the 12 disciples or the, um, the people of the book of Acts um, and so that's why I, I got that. Plus, you know, a lot a lot of people they never really check the refer, the scripture quotes from the New Testament to the Old Testament. If you check them, like in other, in other words, let's say for example, you're reading where Paul says in Romans, you know, it it is written quote and unquote, and he quotes it. And in most Christians read it and they think, oh yeah, that's from the Old Testament, but they never check it. And if you check it, more times than not, it it's not quoted properly, and more times than not, it's quoted from the Septuagint than it is from the Masoretic. And even then, if you're talking about Paul, Paul misquotes the Septuagint anyway. But it's closer to the Septuagint than the Masoretic. Um, not always, but many places it is. And so, it's a very, very good um, for any for any serious Bible student. is very I think it's a it's a must must have to have the uh, Septuagint. To Yabi, the glory um, says, "Could you speak on Genesis three uh, fifteen? Do you believe the seed of the woman is referring to the Messiah specifically, or something else being referenced there?" I do believe it is referring to the the Messiah. I do. Thank you for the question. Good question, Sergeant. Welcome, Sergeant. Good to see you. Says uh, good reading. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sergeant R. Blessings. Cindy says, "I've had the great. I've had the great miracle of the manifestation of the tongues of fire over my head. God is still doing great miracles today. Praise you, Yahuwah Elohim." Very interesting. Did did people actually see? fire over your head is that what you mean are you are you speaking figuratively here or or is it something that people actually saw with their own eyes just if i could if you don't mind me asking cindy says my son is joshua awesome awesome name good choice there Uh, Cindy says, how long have you been studying the Apocrypha? Brother Christopher myself, just a few years. Um, so I started studying the Apocrypha in the, I'm th- trying to think now, if it's the late 80s or the early 90s. Now, don't get me wrong. I didn't study it. I read it. I read through parts of it back in those days. I didn't start studying it really thoroughly, like, I mean, getting into really deep studies, like how we could get into, and Lord willing, we will get into once, once we get to it, uh, which actually should be shortly. We're, we're, we're plugging through this uh, at a fairly good pace here, aren't we? Um, so it hasn't been until maybe the past... I've been aware, like I said, I've read it, I've read at least parts of it, I've... It um, hasn't been the past maybe 10 years or so where I've really been just, I just read through it and read through it, read through everything I could, everything I could possibly read. Uh, and I say everything because there are different apocryphas too. Like some apocryphas include third Maccabees, some don't, some include fourth Maccabees, some don't. Um, but yes, yeah, so it's it's been, uh, I would say approximately a decade of me like like sitting down literally going through the whole entire thing over and over and over again so says much love in messiah brother christopher thank you very much blessings and love multiply back to you as well don't have the apocrypha yet very very interesting you know what to anybody who is kind of like maybe you're kind of like on the fence saying, you know, I want to read the Apocrypha and get into it. And like look at it at least like study it. I encourage, you know what? Everyone, every believer, if, if anybody believes any, even, even if you don't even believe the entire Bible, if you only believe just a, a little bit, you need to read the Apocrypha. Uh, personally, uh, like I mentioned there in the past decade or so, actually it might've been a lot, might've been longer than the decade. Probably was. Um, but, As I read through the Apocrypha, the whole thing over and over and over again, I cannot help but think, man, this is just so in line with the rest of Scripture. Like, and it's so good. It's just gold. It's like Protestants are ripping themselves off. Protestants are ripping themselves off huge in not reading it and studying it. Honestly, Um I've I've also read through many 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 objections and reasons why the apocrypha is not the word of God, not inspired, all this stuff. None of it holds water. And really none of it is all of these all of the ones I've ever come across, and I have I've done some research on it um, more in more than one and multiple occasions. I've done research on well let's let's look into what other people say against the apocrypha. Well, it's like man. Like, how can you, most of the things that people say against the Apocrypha can be used, can be used against the New Testament alone, but they don't, they don't see it. It's like, like, don't you understand what you're saying against the Apocrypha can be used against the New Testament? Like, for example, some people say, oh, I just said like the, uh, well, the Apocrypha is not the word of God because it's in Greek. It should be in Hebrew. Uh, Hello, the New Testament's in Greek. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like these kind of things. Well, the old well, the Apocrypha is not the Word of God because it 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 contradicts you know other Scripture. Well, I I read it myself. It doesn't. What I understand it it doesn't. Uh, and of course, yeah. If you already if you if you open the Apocrypha with it already if you're already biased against it, you're gonna find things against it. Just like anybody and anything. I mean. Look at even Jesus himself. They found lots of things against Jesus. They found enough against him to execute him. <laughs> so if you if you open the apocrypha looking for something wrong, you'll find it. Just like how with anybody, you know, if you're looking for it, you'll find it. But if you if you approach it with an open mind and is as as unbi- unbiased as possible and as objective as possible, you will be tremendously blessed. Tremendously blessed. Tammy says, my 19-year-old son is named Joshua. He is here with the group. Can you give him a shout-out? Yes, shout out to Joshua. Blessings, blessings. Yes, awesome. 19-year-old listening to this kind of stuff and, and, and you know getting into the Word of God like that. Awesome. I'm, I'm telling you, if I was, when I was 19 years old, if I if I listened to the stuff that we're reading. We are reading tonight and listening like to even just going into the comments and, and you know, um, fellowshipping the way we are. Wow. Would I ever be? That would be just such a blessing. Awesome. You're blessed, Joshua. You're blessed. Tammy uh, asked a question. If Yeshua's name or if Yeshua is Messiah's birth name. It means Joshua in English. Why do we call Messiah Jesus? I um, I'm not sure, Tammy, if this is like an old comment or if um, if you were with us a little bit earlier when I I, I explained this, but I'll, I'll go over it again quickly just in case you were not here. So yes, it is Yeshua or Yahush um, Yahshua, right? Which is transliterated as Joshua. Okay, that's so that would that would be his original Hebrew name. Right, the full name Yahashua or Yahushua, Um, and it was shortened down to Yeshua. Okay, but shortened even further than that is Yeshu. And you know, I explained earlier that I have I have understood actually. Actually, I believe for a long time because I listened to the wrong. (laughs) In my opinion, I've listened to the wrong teaching about this. I believe that Yeshu was you know uh, a derogatory acronym against yeshua meaning you know may his name be blotted out forever that kind of thing and you can you can make it any nac- acronym out of any name that make, that 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 makes them look bad and so there is um there is a rumor going around that yash yeshu is a, is an acronym in hebrew that me- that means you know may his name be blotted out forever may his name not be remembered Um, and the more I looked into that, the more I come to, to understand that's just not true. Sure. Somebody made that up. I don't know when, I mean, made up that theory. It's just a theory. Um, but to me, it's much more plausible, much more believable. The historical evidence that there were many people by the name of Yeshu back in those days, which was just a, a shortened form of Yahushua or Yeshua, Yeshu, okay, just like how we say Josh today. Uh, so um, there was a time, though, in the early earlier centuries, that the Jewish people stopped using Yeshu as a name. I think probably because of the stigma of the Christians put on them, you know, and and just the problem, the the problems that social stigma between. The, you know, Christianity and Judaism and and Jesus. And so they just stopped using the word or the name or the short form of the name. Um, and so, but you look at it in the English, um, excuse me, in the Greek, if you look at Greek, for example, many names have an added S at the end. Like we just read Elijah. So if you look at it in the old in uh, King James Version and some other, some other Bibles, it's Elias, right? Elias, so um, for some reason, Greek naming conventions add an S at the end of names. Uh, like, for example, Eliezer, Eliezer, Eliezerus, which become Lazarus, Lazarus was uh, Eliezer. So they added the S again at the end um Marcus, Lucas, Matthias, even Paulus, okay, his the full name of Paul in the Greek. Um, you have um, many other names as well. Not all names, but many names. The Greek for some reason I'm not I'm not all that much of a specialist in Greek, but you notice how the Greek uh, puts an S at the end of many of these names. And so Yeshu, would become Yesus. Yesus with an N at the end, right? With an S at the end, I should say. Um, so Yesus, Yesus, Yesus. Over the period of hundreds of years, the I at the beginning, it would be I A S U S or I A S O U S. Um drop the I. Right? excuse me, not I A, I E. I-E-S-U-S or I-E, I-E-S-O-U-S. So the I uh, evolved into a J. J, the, the letter J and the sound J is a relatively new thing, you know, in English and in the world, actually. I mean, well, especially in English. Um, so if you were to go back, you know, back in history, even in English, it wouldn't be saying G- jesus It wouldn't be pronounced like, J- like Jesus. It would, it would be pronounced differently. Uh, and in the Hebrew, there is no j or j, you know, it's even in the Greek. Um, so over a period of time, Yesus, Yesus became Jesus because that A evolved over a period of hundreds of years from I to J. And so that's how it happened. The, the evolution from Ye- Yeshua, Yahushua to yeshu to yesu yeshu to yesus yesus jesus it's interesting but if you put it up, if you think about it like that you know you can see how it evolved into what we have it today and by the way i i, I don't think that yeshua, Yeshua, yes whatever you want to call him i don't think that he's a sticker stickler uh, about how to pronounce his name, I think that he has been there all along. That he knows right from the very beginning of Yeshu to Yesus, to Ye- Jesus to Ye- Jesus to Ye- he he answers to all of them. You know, I always say it's like me. People pronounce my name different ways. People, some some people call me Chris. That's fine. Uh, I prefer Christopher, but you call me Chris. I'll answer to it. You, you got different. You got different. Um, Accents, crease. I will answer to that. I know who you're talking. I know who you mean. I know you're talking. You're talking to me. I'll answer that. I'm not. I got no problem with that. I don't get my nose out of joint because of a, um, you know, because of a ethnic um, accent. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, Whatever. And I think that Yeshua or whatever you want to call him is the same way. Whether you call him Yeshu, Isa. Jesus, 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 whatever the case, Yeshua, Yahushu, whatever you want to call him, Yahushua. um, He knows who you're talking to. He knows what you mean. To Yabi the Glory said, uh, "Good point. Seem some seem sure the universal language before the Tower of Babel had to be Hebrew, even though it is just as likely the original language was destroyed. No proof either way. Yeah." Even the original, like the proto-proto-Hebrew, we probably don't even really know exactly how that was pronounced. Um, I do have a few videos on YouTube about the Tower of Babel. I personally, now, I I can't say for sure, okay? I can't say 100% certain, no doubt about it, but I am fairly certain that the Tower of Babel. Like I got videos about this, that there were other dialects or languages before the Tower of Babel, and when it talks about you know that um, he confused their language, like there, it's actually it's a deep study. It's you know the the, the difference between lashon to um, uh, you know you got one word that means lips, again another word in the Hebrew that means tongue, and yes, and, and it if you look at it. From, you know, the big picture, what is basically saying is that Babel, Babel, actually, Babel is another name for Babylon, which uh, was there people there from all different parts of the world that spoke all different languages, but they could all understand each other somehow. There was there was a way; either they understood, they were multilingual, or there was a technology that was able to translate on the fly like how we have today which wouldn't wouldn't surprise me i mean it was so powerful back in those days that god even god seemed like now i know when i say when i use this kind of language when i use this kind of lingo people kind of was like oh how can god be but it seems like god was threatened it's like if we know god is like you know what if the if we don't stop this nothing will be impossible for, for them, so let's, we got to stop this. Uh, so it seems like he's threatened. And even today, I think we're getting very close. But even today, I don't think we have the technology that equaled Babel. The At least we don't have the power that equaled Babel, because right now, I mean, I don't think right now, as we speak, God's saying, hey, I think we better go down there and smash their communication or else, nothing will be impossible for them. We're getting there, but I mean, we're getting there. We're getting close, but um, we're not there yet. If you're interested in more about what I have to say about that, yeah, I do have videos about that. I have I, actually, I have an old video called "The Tower of Babel" in the original language, like an old video. How old is it? Several years, or maybe, maybe even yeah, I think it was was it 2014, 2015, where. Um, and uh, it's a it's it's a long video. You might want to speed it up if you listen to it. But I say a lot of a, a lot about that kind of stuff in that video. Plus, actually, we went through that in um, not too long ago. We went through Genesis chapter eleven and the whole story about the Tower of Babel. Actually, you know what it says in the scriptures? It talks about the city and the the city just as much, if not more, than the Tower of Babel. It talks about the city of Babel in that in that. Uh, in that story, although the tower is actually more popularized. Totally, I I I'm in total agreement agreement with you, Cindy. The apocryphal books of Baruch, Enoch, Ezra, Esdras, apocryphal Isaiah, and our true biblical writings, testaments, and other others, nothing heretical, just misunderstood, mistranslated to Elohim be. Glory. One thing about that too, 2nd uh, Esdras. 2nd Esdras explains that there are two different categories of books, right? There, there, there is the the 24 books, which is actually, it. it's the exact same as what we have today in the 39 books. They just combine some of the books together, um, like say 1st and 2nd Chronicles were combined, those kind of things. But in 2nd Esdras, it talks about the 24 books, uh, versus the hidden books. Uh, the 24 books, which was basically the Tanakh, was to be for everybody. That's for the common man. That's for the public. Um, but the the hidden books are to be hidden for a reason because they contain so, they contain spiritual truths, that is so rich, m- m- people will, if you're not very spiritually discerned or if you're not very wise, you'll misunderstand it, you'll misinterpret it. And so that's why it's to be hidden. So in fact, the word apocrypha means hidden. So it says in second Esdras that the apocrypha is to be hidden from the ones who are not so wise the the apoc the hidden books are only for those who are wise only for the wise ones because they can read it they can understand it they can they can digest the rich spiritual food in there not for the common man now when the protestants cut out the apocrypha basically they're they're basically condemning themselves as being not not very wise because they're saying oh the books are for the wise ones that's not for us <laughs> Cut them out of the Bible. Oh, Cindy says you can't see them, brother. You feel them. Very powerful. Okay, I see. Thank you for clarifying that. Very, very interesting. Very powerful. Awesome. Awesome. Haven't asked the question, do you think um, Obadiah last verse is talking about the 144K survivors uh, should come up to Mount Zion? Very good question. Um, just a quick peek back at that. So, then, the then survivors shall come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Uh, The Septuagint says, and they that escape shall come up from Mount Zion to take vengeance on the Mount of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Um, Especially in the Mesoretic text, there seems to be a possibility of that. Uh, in the Septuagint, doesn't seem like it's that much of a possibility, um, so I can't confirm it either way. Yeah, so I, I really don't know what else to say about that. Heaven seventy-seven. Um, those are my thoughts, but that's a great question. Thanks for asking. Kingdom coms, kingdom concepts. The eclipse of the moon is in a few hours. Awesome. Oh, so Cindy says no, sorry, uh, autocorrect. I do have the apocrypha, maybe that was a, ty- a typo. I don't have Septuagint. Okay. Apologies, brother. Chris, no problem. No problem. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah, kingdom concepts brings out a good concept as well, and that is that there are some of the apocrypha that that is in Hebrew as well, some of it. I mean, what I yeah, so generally speaking it is in Greek, but there are some parts of it that you can find like that, yes. And this is true as well. Uh, Pharisee rabbis even quote it. Yes, I found it very, very interesting back in the years when I was actually studying um, things from a Judaic point of view, the Messianic-Judaic point of view. Uh, Messianic rabbi uh, that I was listening to would would frequently quote the, the Apocrypha. Although he wouldn't call it the Apocrypha. There was a different name that he had for it. Well, it's very interesting. Yeah, So the in the Jewish world, much of the Apocrypha is still considered to be Scripture. Don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about Torah Scripture or not, not even necessarily Nevi'im Scripture, but at least part of the Ketuvim. Yes, I agree with you, Cindy. We need to be studying um, last days. Esdras, Ezra, Baruch, Ascension, Ascension of Isaiah. Yes, and we will, again, Lord willing, we'll get to that. Uh, actually, one of my more, more, I say, top 10 most viewed videos I have on YouTube is actually Second Esdras. I do a, like an audiobook reading of it. The real truth says, I do agree. Apocrypha is very good and gives and does give you understanding and wisdom. Same with Enoch and Jubilees. Yes, absolutely. Amber, welcome, Amber. Shalom. Good to see you. Kleck, now we're talking about Kleck. I'm not familiar with Kleck at all, so I just this caught my eye. I watched quite a few of his videos, and I did believe in the beginning because I didn't know enough of the Bible Him saying we are fallen angels is just so wrong, in my opinion. If that is what he said, yes, absolutely, it is so wrong. The real truth, yes, the letter J, the J sound is only about 500 years old. It's amazing how some people think that, you know, Jesus, I mean, his name is Jesus. Okay, so his name is Jesus. But was it pronounced like that back in the day? No, of course not. It wasn't pronounced anything like that at all. Not to say that he doesn't, you know, he, do, he doesn't know, you know, he doesn't respond to it. Yeah, sure, he will respond to it. Tammy says, "Does Jesus mean Joshua in English?" Yeah, yeah, they're the same name. They're the same name. Just that one was transliterated directly from Hebrew to English, and the other one was transliterated from. The Hebrew to the Greek and from the Greek to the English and then hundreds of years of English made that first letter i into a j yeah so they they are the same name just different i guess you would say different forks of the same origin original name yes so really like jesus would be joshua New Genesis Connection says, I like the book of Jasher, but not 100% sure that it's for real. You know, the book of Jasher, I like it too. Um, it is, um, it has a totally different feel than uh, than the book, like another book, like for example, like um, if you compare Jubilees with Jasher, and much of it actually talks about the same thing. Um but it has a totally different feel and in some places it does contradict in some places it does. Now that doesn't, no biggie. I mean, it doesn't mean to throw out one or the other, as we see throughout the Bible. I mean, the honest truth of the matter is different books of the Bible contradict different, even manuscripts of the same book chapter and verse contradict. So no biggie. Uh, So I wouldn't throw out the book of Jasher or the book of Jubilees. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's it's definitely worth reading and studying and knowing definitely and for sure I would think it would it has truth in it truth that no other um, source has in it one John what is the GBS Septuagint and what does the 70 reference okay so the GBS Septuagint I am not familiar with that I'm sorry uh the the 70. Okay, so um, the Septuagint actually means the 70. The the name the word Septuagint means 70. And so the story goes, and uh, there are different versions of this story. Wherever I mean there's a letter, there's an ancient letter. You can you can probably download it, you can look it up online. It's called the letter of Aristeus. Um, that's one that talks about the Septuagint and how in like the origins of the Septuagint how it began, why it began. Um, so the Septuagint is a Greek translation of the ancient Hebrew, m- way more ancient than the Masoretic that most English Bibles are based upon today. The story goes that King Ptolemy um, was a very good, it was a good guy. Okay. He was a good King and he, Wanted. And he built a huge library. He wanted it to be like the biggest library in the world to house as many books as possible. Uh, so, um, in it, his library, uh, was lacking the Torah. He wanted the Torah, and so he sent to uh, to Israel uh, for the top Jewish scholars, scribes, rabbis. To come from Israel to uh, Alexandria to translate the Hebrew into the Greek, and so that so that it can populate his library, and he paid dearly for this. Okay, like he actually gave—I um, forget what it was. It was an amazing amount of things that he gave. Actually, even people as well. He gave uh, slaves and. Um, and also, um, lots of riches. I mean, he gave lots to. I believe that uh, if I, if if my memory serves me correctly, because of the price that King Ptolemy paid for the Torah, it was it's considered to be the most that has ever been paid for any book in history. So the story goes that the leaders. In Israel. This would have been in the, in the third century BC, around the year 250 BC, around that year, give or take. Um, so the leaders in, in Israel chose seventy men to go uh to Alexandria, to Egypt, to translate the Torah. And so those 70 men now. There is, um, like I said, there are different different stories and different variations. One story would say 72, while others would say 70. 70, 72, okay? Um, that's why they call it the Septuagint, because it was translated uh, by 70 of Israel's finest um, translators. And so... And there's some amazing stories that surround the whole translation thing and all that kind of thing. So, the first thing, uh, the, the Torah was translated first in the third century BC. After that, in the years following, they eventually got the entire Tanakh tr- uh, translated. And I understand it was, now, depending on who you listen to, again, you know, different people say different things because of different motives. And, you know, I, that's another whole story. But, um, Typically, believe that the, the entire Tanakh, meaning the entire so-called Old Testament, was translated into Greek before the time of Christ, BC. Okay, um, so that's why it's it's called the seventy. Sometimes, if you if you're reading ancient doc, documents, they talk about the seventy, the seventy, the seventy. That's what it's talking about. It's actually talking about the, the Septuagint when they say the seventy. So, yeah. Excellent question. Thanks for asking one, John. Tammy says, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Christopher. Love being here and thankful for all the work you do. Blessings to you. Thank you, Tammy. Thank you for being here. Um, You and the group. I appreciate you. I mean, you guys are awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate your fellowship. I appreciate your questions, your comments. Blessings. Blessings, guys. Okay, so I'm going to wrap it up for tonight. So that's uh hey, it's the first day of the week. So awesome fellowship. Awesome fellowship. Lots of things were covered tonight and so you know the the long-term goal is I I am I'm aiming, I'm I'm hoping that we get the entire Tanakh and the entire Apocrypha and some other interesting books. Uh, We already actually, we we already read through, I think it was second Esdras, we already read through Enoch as far as I can remember. Um, So all these extra books, we'll go through as much as possible. And also the New Testament again, um, and some other very interesting early, what do you call it, early Christian writings as well, such as the Didache. I, w- I went through that, I think, a couple times so far on uh, on these in these videos, uh, the Didache and some other very interesting things. So I'm looking at, I'm hoping, okay, that we get all of this done before the fall. Okay, so that we get all of these. Once we hit the apocryphal books, we'll just be, you know, plugging away at it, right? Because we're doing this in a generally, you know, I know it's kind of loosely chronological but it is generally in generally generally speaking we're doing it kind of chronologically here so um so the apocrypha will start after we uh conclude the tanakh and uh and we'll get to all that kind of good stuff and so i'm really looking forward to that as always you guys if you haven't uh subscribed or if you're not following please make sure you do before you forget And uh, we'll see you again tomorrow night. Now, we do this every single night, Sunday through Friday, six nights a week, 7 p.m. Eastern, and every Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern, uh, by the grace of God. So, Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Eastern. Thanks again, guys. You guys are awesome. You guys are world changers. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate it. Cindy says uh, brother Christopher you are so knowledgeable kind godly yes thank you well thank you very much Cindy I appreciate that thank you for your kind for your kind comment I love that I don't get I don't normal I don't normally get some uh, you know if you go through some of the comments that I get uh, a lot of people don't like what I say but hey you know like I said we're we're uh, we're dedicated to the truth. We're dedicated to digging, digging out the historical facts. You know, we want to make sure that we're, we're as accurate as possible. And we want to get to, we want to get as close to God as possible. Amen. Amen. So Cindy says, Shavua Tov. beloved Brother Chris. Thank you very much, Cindy. Cindy says, uh, glad I discovered you. God will increase. Yeah, we're glad you're here. Awesome. Yes, blessings. Thank you. And one John says, thank you. Blessings. Blessings multiplied back to you as well. Cindy says, please, no screaming goofballs. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to keep those screaming goofballs out of here for sure. Yeah. No screaming goofballs. Yeah. Thank you very much, Cindy. To Ya'bi the Glory says, um, "Have a good night, everyone. Shalom. Amen, amen." And part of the ironic blessing here in Hebrew, awesome. Thank you very much. Multiplied back to you. Let's just say, all right, guys. I'll see you again tomorrow night. I'm kind of tongue-tied here. Yes, a little bit tongue-tied here tonight. Good night, Mishpachah. Again, for those of you not, not sure what this is, this is Hebrew for family. Good night, Cindy. Good night, guys. Okay, as always, I pray... That the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you, lift up his countenance upon you. Give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. See you tomorrow night.